Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan Corporate and Investment Bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the FIC Market Structure team. They'll be talking about some of the regulatory initiatives and microstructural developments on our radar, which could shape market liquidity in the fixed income, currency, and commodity markets. Hi, I'm Meredith Cleary, and in today's episode, we're going to be outlining the key market structure themes you need to know going into the new year. Market structure as a function focuses on how emerging technologies, policies, and execution trends could impact how market participants access liquidity. Today, we're going to be exploring these dynamics across regions through a forward-looking lens. To do this, I'm joined by my colleagues Kate Finlayson in London and Penny Chow in Singapore. Hey guys. Hi Meredy, great to be here. Hi Meredy. I think we can all agree that 2022 was quite a year. Of course, no one could have anticipated some of the defining macro headwinds that took place, including Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year, recent volatility in the crypto market, lingering COVID-related supply chain disruptions, energy market dynamics, well, the list goes on. The combination of some of these exogenous forces created distinct periods of market volatility in 2022. Kate, looking ahead, what are we keeping our eye on this year? Well, if we focus first on Europe, we've been witnessing the post-Brexit landscape for a couple of years now, and the dynamics are still very much at play as regulators finalize reforms of key regulations, including MIFID II, MIFIR, EMEA 3.0, AIFMD, all eyes will be on any regulatory divergence between the UK and the EU. Yes, there's a lot of focus at the beginning of the transition period on how liquidity may shift amid clearing dynamics and trading considerations for certain derivatives that lack equivalence for UK trading venues in the EU. Exactly. So the EU strategy, namely its open strategic autonomy, is formative. This is where the EU is seeking to enhance its competitiveness and reduce reliance on third country infrastructure entities. As we saw at the tail end of 2022, the EU is looking to bolster its clearing landscape under EMEA 3.0. And the European Commission's new proposals would amend EMEA where there would be a requirement for clearing members and those clients subject to the clearing obligation to hold an active account at an EU CCP. And there are also proposals in terms of potential capital charges for exposures to UK CCPs. And with the pension scheme arrangement exemption from the clearing obligation also falling away in June this year, clearing dynamics in the EU will certainly take centre stage in 2023. Thanks, Kate. And Penny, what's on your radar in APAC? Hey, Meredy. There are, of course, global themes that are also in focus in APAC, such as development of electronic trading, um, environmental, social and governance considerations, and digital finance. Something that we're looking quite closely at are the dynamics in India. So relative to its size, India's fixed income markets remains comparatively untapped by global investors. Not to mention, the growth of its domestic market remains strong and India is projected to overtake China as the most populous country this year. Um, There are, of course, various headwinds too, which we are tracking, such as the um, potentially lengthy investor registration process, capital gains tax and repatriation delays, which could also be a focus for India policymakers in 2023. Wow, so India is clearly a key topic. What about China? 
Well, we obviously have to keep in mind the ongoing political situation in China. But from a purely market structure perspective, we anticipate China to continue opening up its capital markets to foreign investors. Yes, completely agree. And Penny, you mentioned ESG considerations. We're seeing the continued integration of ESG in markets globally. The current climate and energy crisis is playing a role in driving investor and other stakeholder interest in the space. And at the same time, there is also a lack of consistency in how companies are reporting sustainability and climate information across sectors and industries. And the combination of stakeholder and investor interest with limited corporate reporting guidelines on ESG-related information, is driving regulators to step in. Okay, interesting. How is the U.S. looking at ESG? In the U.S., the SEC is working on developing a climate disclosure rule designed to bring some consistency to climate reporting for public companies. There is also an effort globally to develop an international baseline for climate and sustainability disclosures for corporates that may drive additional standardization in the space. In sum, in total, the climate and ESG disclosure and reporting landscape may end up looking a lot different for U.S. companies in 2024 than in previous years. So there's a lot to watch there. Yes, exactly. And switching to the EU, on a separate but related issue, there is the Fit for 55 package. The EU will finalize the comprehensive plan for a green transition under this new legislative package. The EU is looking to focus on tackling greenwashing through regulatory action in the area of fund labeling and disclosures. And it'll continue to work on new due diligence rules for corporates and financial services firms with potential extraterritorial implementation. We will also see a dedicated regulatory proposal on ESG ratings with a view of increasing transparency of methodologies used by ESG ratings providers and further delegated regulation to complete the EU taxonomy. And what about the UK? In the UK, the FCA is consulting on its own guidelines for ESG labels, and the Treasury is expected to publish a renewed green financing strategy, clarifying next steps on a UK green taxonomy and making further additions to the UK's disclosure framework. Overall, whether mandated by the government or implemented at the firm level, The continued demand for ESG-linked financial products, portfolios, disclosure frameworks and ratings remain top of mind. And in APAC, uh, the focus appears to be on combating greenwashing and ironing out the definition of sustainability. So in fact, Asia has seen numerous ESG-focused regulations to date, many of which pull elements from Europe. As of this year, most regions in Asia now have net zero commitments. So this means a focus on transition mechanisms is vital alongside the prioritization of climate risk factors in financial markets. And if we think about the growing number of climate commitments, Penny, like net neutrality and emissions cuts, commodities markets are playing an arguably more important role when it comes to the road ahead for ESG. And for example, the EU has recently extended its emission trading system, or ETS, to incorporate more industries. Yeah, and we can't talk about commodity markets without exploring the ongoing dynamics in global energy markets and how this might pan out this year. 2022 witnessed a significant reaction from markets following Russia's invasion on Ukraine. At the time, it resulted in higher energy commodity prices, mainly gas, but also coal, reduced flows of pipeline gas and uncertainty concerning European security of gas supply. 
Kate, going back to your point earlier on ESG, the weaning off of more polluting energy sources to potentially greener commodity products could continue to play a role in 2023. In the medium to long term, the EU's reaction to weaning off Russian energy sources could potentially help the EU reach its climate goals faster, as the movement to lower carbon energy sources will lead to a more diversified energy mix and increased levels of market participation there. Yes, and the impact of the war continues to be felt by agricultural markets, particularly for grains and oilseeds, for which Russia and Ukraine are key exporters. For example, in 2021, Russia and Ukraine accounted for around one quarter of global exports of wheat. On a global basis, prices are high for most agricultural commodities due to lingering supply chain disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. So I want to shift gears for a bit and touch on a theme that we've been covering for a few years now, which is the trading venue perimeter. Kate, this has come into particular focus recently as we await ESMA's final opinion on the topic. What do you think is the road ahead here? Right, so the regulatory focus on what constitutes multilateral trading and the potential scoping in of technology providers and systems as regulated trading venues spans the EU, the US and the UK. As you mentioned, we're anticipating ESMA's final opinion on the topic. We saw the UK's FCA consult on this topic a few months ago, so it's still a work in progress. And in the US, we're keeping a lookout for the SEC's final rule on the definition of an exchange and the application of regulation alternative trading systems, or Reg ATS, to include systems that offer the use of non-firm trading interests and communication protocol systems. This is not a new topic, but we're still very focused on it, given the questions raised concerning the potential impact on execution management systems, whether those are developed in-house or utilized through third-party providers. Yes, definitely worth the focus given the increased use of execution management systems on the buy side. Another market structure dynamic in the US that could have a broader impact is the move to T plus one settlement. You recall that at present, most securities settle on a T plus two basis, a timeframe that was worked towards over a number of years. The SEC proposed to require compliance with a T plus one standard if adopted by March 31st, 2024. So depending on how things shake out, we're potentially just over a year away from when this could take effect. And while it is the U.S. SEC in terms of cross-border transactions, the impact would be broader than U.S. market participants. Conversations on moving to T plus one standard settlement period are ongoing in Europe as well. Discussions are less advanced in the EU compared to the U.K., where the Treasury recently set up a task force to explore the potential for faster settlement of financial trades. Exactly, Penny. I also think another dynamic that is picking up steam is fund liquidity risk management. After several studies conducted on the period of market volatility in 2020, there's a keen focus on non-bank financial intermediation with various money market fund reforms underway. These take time, but some of these could be finalized this year. There's also a broader look at open-end funds whereby in November last year, the SEC proposed a separate set of amendments for open-end funds, which would involve the implementation of swing pricing. And this is where a fund's net asset value per share is adjusted by a swing factor to account for investor subscriptions and redemptions. And perhaps most impactfully, 
the proposals look to update how open-end funds classify the liquidity of their investments, potentially expanding the scope of assets subject to the illiquid asset limit and requiring a minimum amount of highly liquid assets. All of this could impact how funds operate and potentially alter fund investment strategies. And we haven't even mentioned the ongoing proposed reforms in the U.S. Treasury market. From proposals on central clearing of both cash and repo transactions, the additional reporting and transparency requirements, as well as the definition of a dealer or government securities dealer, these proposals will continue to draw attention as policymakers assess industry feedback. And we've all seen the headlines and media attention around crypto markets over the past few months. Talks surrounding the regulation of the crypto industry has also heightened. While broad definitions of certain digital assets are still up for debate, the congressional hearings that took place at the tail end of 2022 and statements issued by the Fed and BIS in January on addressing the risks in crypto indicate that there's continued focus on an appropriate regulatory framework for digital assets. And this might be a top priority for policymakers in 2023. With that, Kate and Penny, thanks so much for your insights today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Great speaking with you, Meredith. We've covered a lot of topics today, but I think they're all very important market structure themes to keep on our radar. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in and keep an ear out for more market structure features on the channel. Have a great day. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together JP Morgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation advice or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument are not issued by research, but are a solicitation under CFTC Rule 1.71. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. The FIC Market Structure Publications, or to one, newsletters mentioned in this podcast are available for J.P. Morgan clients. Please contact your J.P. Morgan sales representative should you wish to receive them. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures.